Welcome to the CRISPR revolution. This is CRISPR Cuts, a podcast dedicated to the world of genome engineering. Take a break and join us as we guide conversations with an expert CRISPR cast about this cutting edge science. Welcome to a new episode of CRISPR Cuts. Today we have with us Christian Greendell, co-founder and CEO of Sniper Biome. Welcome to CRISPR Cuts, Christian. Well, thank you very much. Could you please tell us about yourself? Of course. So I'm Danish. I'm originally trained as a veterinarian. I also have a PhD in biotechnology, doctor of medical science and an MBA. I'm actually out of a family where we all uh, are veterinarians. I'm married to uh, a veterinarian and my brother is a veterinarian. My father was a veterinarian and a professor in internal medicine at the veterinary university. And I grew up actually at the uh, veterinary university. I'm very fortunate to have a large family. So I have four kids. Two of them are medical doctors and two of them are in the economics. Originally, I was trained as an equine surgeon. And I spent the first six years of my career with the treating horses, operating on horses, and also did my PhD in horses. And I was uh, very interested in, in research. And that actually took me then to do uh, research into new medicines. And this was uh, human medicine. So I spent uh, 15 years in a large uh, pharma company, Novo Nordisk, where I was working with all kinds of uh, medicines within uh, cancer and inflammation, uh, human infertility, growth hormone, uh, hemophilia. And I really enjoyed that. I I got a very good uh, education within Novo Nordisk. And then I was uh, attracted to uh, smaller companies. I have been 12 years in biotech. I've both been uh, heading up research and uh, clinical development and uh, business development. And then I've also been very fortunate to be able to be an entrepreneur and, you know, start new companies. That's quite a journey. And especially going from veterinary school into, you know, human medicine. And and now you have a company which specifically works on CRISPR and bacteria. So tell us a little bit about the transition. What was the motivation to kind of look into bacteria as a way of treatments? Yeah, so that for many things, you know, in life, it, it, it's often a coincidence, right? So I had been working in a biotech company in Denmark, and then I was attracted to move to the UK. And I was fortunate to lead a, a small, very innovative company, KIMAP, which was in the uh, cancer and, uh, and fully human antibody space. And that was in back in 2013, just when CRISPR was uh, discovered in, uh, in 2012. And it so happened that we, in making our new medicines, we actually had to move a lot of genes, human genes, into mice. So uh, actually all of the genes that are responsible for responding with a, you know immunological response and are making uh, the antibodies, we're moving these human genes into mice. And then CRISPR came along and we could see that that was a, a really a groundbreaking a technology that would be very advantageous for KIMAP to get access to and start using CRISPR in making these transgenic mice. So we contacted the various uh, universities where these CRISPR innovators uh, uh, were. That was, that was you know, Howard and Broad, it was uh, Rockefeller and it was also UC Berkeley. And we were able to get licenses to these early CRISPR innovations. But then it also occurred to me and my co-founder, Jasper Kloop, who is an excellent patent lawyer, that in this very new field, it looked like everybody was only interested in using CRISPR in 
uh, eukaryotic cells, you know, cells like in humans and animals and, and yeast, but, you know, cells that has a nuclei. And it seems like the whole vast kingdom of bacteria, nobody had really looked into that yet. So we decided that we wanted to explore uh, whether you could use CRISPR in bacteria. And here we then engaged with my third co-founder, Professor Morten Sommer from the Danish Technical University that is really an eminent scientist and also very experienced in the microbiomes and microbiology. So the three of us formed a sniper very early on in the beginning of 15 in the UK and uh, had the luck to really discover that we could actually use uh, CRISPR in a mixed microbiome. Then we protected that invention, as you do, with, with patent applications. And we were then able to raise first a little seed in when we were in the UK, and then we moved the company to Denmark, to Copenhagen. So I moved my family back from Cambridge. And there we were then able to raise a very substantial round of money, 50 million US dollars, which was the, the biggest uh, Series A in biotech in Scandinavia at the time. That's excellent. It just sounds really interesting, also intuitive, just given that CRISPR originated or is originally kind of a defense mechanism in bacteria. Could you tell us more about what type of diseases is your company targeting while working on this with this technology, basically? Yes, I'll be happy to. So for every you know successful biotech company, you really have to be very focused in what you're doing. And here with CRISPR, there are so many applications, there are so many things you can do. But we have also really tried to be very focused. Another thing you really have to investigate a lot of time and energy into is the delivery of a technology. So that goes for all successful biotech companies. You really have to have your technology to be delivered into the target cell. And we can do many things with CRISPR. So one of the things we can do is we can selectively kill one, you know, bacteria, one, you know, pathogenic or infectious bacteria while leaving the rest of all the good bacteria, you know, intact and unharmed. And here we, of course, need to get the CRISPR guide and the Cas internuclease inside the cell. And we can do that either by using our friends, the viruses that prey on bacteria, the so-called bacteriophages, or we can use, uh, you know, other living bacteria that can sort of conjugate the, uh, the CRISPR cargo into the bacteria. So we have developed two different delivery systems. One is live bacteria and the other one is live viruses that can then deliver the CRISPR payload in. And then, of course, it's very important what we then want to do. So we have decided to focus on three different things where we think there is a very big unmet medical need and where there is a lot of you know, human lives lost and also a lot of morbidities uh, involved. So one area is the really big growing area of antimicrobial resistance. You probably have heard of that. You know, not all antibiotics are, are working as effective any longer. You know, normal penicillin and antitracycline and fluoroquinolone and whatever have you, they are less and less effective. So we actually want to make, you know, a penicillin 2.0, you could say, where we are very effective in killing one bacteria. We are focused on E. coli, you know, multidrug resistant E. coli first. But this uh, could actually also be other very dangerous pathogens like you know, Acinotobacter or uh, Pseudomonas or, or Klebsiella. There is actually a list of uh, five, six, seven really dangerous bacteria where the rise of antimicrobial resistance is actually real. And uh, just over the last three years, while we've had uh, to deal with the 
with the SARS-CoV-2 virus and the corona you know, infection, we've had as many people dying around in the world from antimicrobial resistance that has actually died due to the virus. So that's one area that where we believe it's very important, both with preventive medicines, but also with treatments. And we have one where we are trying to prevent bloodstream infections in cancer patients and vulnerable cancer patients caused by multidrug resistant E. coli. And then we have another treatment where we, it's a direct acute intravenous uh, treatment of a bloodstream infection. So that's one area. Another area we are going into is actually a, a completely new cancer treatment. So there are some bacteria that are actually involved in the uh, formation of cancers and the propagation of cancers. This is specifically true in colorectal cancer and gastric cancer. And here we're focusing in on a rare childhood cancer where you have a, a genetic disposition, you have some of your genes that are dysfunct, and that means that you are very prone to get a colorectal cancer. And actually, typically by the age of 18 or 20, you have full-blown colorectal cancer and you have to have your entire colon removed. And we hope to be able to, to go in and intervene early on when you are a child or as a lessons and take out those bacteria that are contributing to the cancer. There are some bacteria that are actually making uh, toxins that damages your own DNA, that damages your own genes. In those cases where you have many polyps in your gut, then you are very prone to get these cancers. Disease is actually called the familial adematose polyposis or FAP or FAP. And that's where we are taking also our CRISPR medicine to prevent these cancers to happen. And then another area where we are really active is where we're trying to use CRISPR to have the microbiome to produce the medicines. So we are doing what we could call a, a gut-directed gene therapy, where we uh, are trying to express the active medicine directly from the uh, from the gut microbiome. So this could be you know, active antibodies. There's a very effective drug called the Humira that are used in, in various autoimmune diseases uh, like uh, IBD or uh, rheumatoid arthritis or psoriasis and especially IBD, you know, inflammatory bowel disease, there it could be very elegant if you can express the business end of Humira or an anti-TNF-alpha treatment because then you are only having that effect locally in the gut where you have your inflammation and you do not have to have your entire body exposed uh, to this uh, medicine. But that's just one example. We can see yourself expressing many different antibodies or signaling molecules. It could also be, you know, important hormones, you know, like insulin or GLP-1 or other incretin hormones where the, the body is not making enough of these hormones and we can then have the microbiome to supply. One of the longer term things we hope we are able to do with this uh, gut-directed gene therapy is to drive the cost of the treatment down. Nowadays, there are some very effective uh, drugs, especially also within a cancer treatment. They're called, you know, immune checkpoint inhibitors, or and and the treatment type is called, you know, immune oncology treatment. And these antibodies are very effective, but they're also very costly. So they could cost, you know, anywhere from fifty to a hundred thousand US dollars for a treatment. And if we could actually have the microbiome to express such, uh, you know, very effective cancer treatments. You know, we could see yourself maybe having a treatment cost that would be only a tenth of what uh, that is today because the cost of these medicines would not be nearly as big as uh, as making the antibodies outside in the normal pharmaceutical plant 
but you can actually have then the microbiome to make, you know, as a as a, you would call it a personalized medicine and have that antibody made from the from the microbiome. That I really hope that we would be successful in that over the next 10 years so that, you know, many hundred thousands, if not millions of people then can afford these types of treatments. Thanks for going through that. And that's quite a range of different disease applications that you can target using this technology, which which is really hopeful because, you know, we have been hearing so much about CRISPR-based medicines and everyone's working on different types of medicines and to follow that up with the mission of accessibility. That's exactly, I think, what the field needs because one step is getting those the research right to the medicine phase, but then the other thing is, can people actually use them? Can they afford them? So this is, uh, it's great to know that that's also being looked at. I do know that just beginning of this year, your company announced your first inhuman trials. So can you talk a little bit more about what that specific trial is about and which disease you're targeting there? Yes, I'll be happy to. So you're completely right. We are conducting right now our first inhuman trials. We are conducting that trial in the U.S. It's uh, ongoing in um, in Ohio. And here... We uh, are following the normal path when you come with a completely new medicine like uh, that we are giving. We are the first to actually give a CRISPR medicine systemically and orally to people, which we are very proud of. But of course, uh, safety here is of our biggest concern. So we have dosed uh, first in a very low dose to eight uh, subjects, then in a medium dose to eight subjects. And then in the highest dose, we've actually given it to 20 uh, subjects. So the entire phase one or first in human trial comprises uh, 36 healthy uh, volunteers. So their immune system is completely normal. Their, you know, gut inner lining is completely normal. And in that way, we in a safe way, we have then been able to dose uh, this CRISPR medicine orally as a drink. And we have not seen any, uh, you know, uh, adverse events or serious adverse events, and they've been very well tolerated. And we have been able to dose all the way up to our highest dose. So that is very, uh, you know, uh, pleasing. We uh, will now also study in these healthy volunteers the effect on the microbiome that we are not, uh, you know, making any damages to the microbiome. We are actually following these subjects for a full six months, even though that we are only dosing them for a week. So again, you know, to be very, very certain that we are not doing any harm and that it's safe and tolerable. And then we also hope as a secondary endpoint to tease out whether we have target engagement, whether our CRISPR medicine can actually find the E. coli in the gut and also decimate them in a clinically meaningful way. And we will be able to get the results, uh, you know, early next year, sort of by February or March uh, next year. And then if the data looks good, which we of course hope, then we will be able to move uh, to phase two, which will then involve real patients. And these are actually quite vulnerable, quite sick patients. So, so this will be the type of patients that has a disease in their blood. So it will be, or typically also in their bone marrow. So these will be patients that have what we call, you know, a hematological malignancy. So, uh, you know, either AML or ALL patients. And they have a very, very critical time point in their disease and in their, in their treatment. So for instance, the very severe AML patients, they can actually only be cured if you completely ablate their bone marrow to take away their immune system, take away all their white blood cells, and then you implant a new bone marrow, you know, new stem cells from a donor. 
And these uh, hematopoietic stem cell transplantation patients, they have actually, you know, both due to their disease, but also due to their to the treatment, they have a window of four to six weeks where they actually have no immune system whatsoever and where they are very, very susceptible to get a bloodstream infection. And uh, of course, you can isolate them from the surroundings and they can, you know, live in a tent inside the hospital, but you cannot isolate them from their own gut. And the typical cause of where they are getting the bloodstream infection is when the, the bacteria from the gut, because there's also damages to the inner lining of the intestine, you have a translocation of bacteria into the blood. And if you and I had a few bacteria into the blood, our immune system would normally cope with that. But since they have no immune system, they have a very high propensity to actually get a bloodstream infection. Up to 30 to 35% of these patients do get a bloodstream infection. And then in the US, it's actually now a standard of care to try to give them a preventive treatment with a broad-spectrum antibiotics. It's called uh, fluoroquinolone. It's actually in the treatment guidelines that the fluoroquinolone is used, even though it's actually not registered uh, and approved for that indication. But the problem is so big that that is what is being used. But nowadays, there is a very frightening and rising resistance towards fluoroquinolone. So those people that, that harbor a fluoroquinolone-resistant E. coli, they're actually a very, very vulnerable and a very dangerous place. So we aim to take our CRISPR medicines and give it on top of fluoroquinolone so we can actually directly decimate or take down the number of fluoroquinolone-resistant E. coli, which are typically the one that are giving the bloodstream infection. And there are no uh, approved uh, treatment in this uh, in this setting at all. So we hope, first of all, that it will be you know effective and it can be approved in this setting, and then it can actually then lead to a new preventive medicines for uh, you know hematological cancer patients. If that works, you can then also bring it out into other vulnerable patients, into other immune compromised patients. This could be cancer patients, it could be solid organ transplantation patients, it could be you know people with a very you know compromised liver and so forth. So you typically start in a patient population where you have the biggest unmet medical need and where they have the biggest use for this drug and then you can bring it further out. We have a sister project that are coming close after and that's with the same type of of CRISPR medicine but here we will then give it directly into the blood of these patients so what we call intravenous to directly treat those patients that have a positive culture where they actually have you know, E. coli in their blood. And that is a potentially life-threatening condition where you have to treat them in a matter of minutes and, and hours. This is so interesting and innovative. I really hope the trials go well and, and this treatment works. I know I said before, this sounds very intuitive, but I know that by no means is this simple. So what I want to ask you is, what are the challenges in working with bacteria or in general, you know, your technology? It's come to this stage, I'm sure, with a lot of work put into it, but sometimes things just seem way easier than they are. So it would be great to know what challenges you faced yeah. in all of this. Yeah, but we have had certainly our share of challenges. I mean, we're very fortunate that CRISPR really works so well as a technology. It's a fantastic technology. It works every day in our hands. It works in 10,000 other labs. So so CRISPR itself, that you can dial in the specificity, you have this CRISPR guide, and you can really dial in, you know, which genes do I want to target and disrupt. 
Some of the challenges have been the delivery, that we wanted to have delivery into the entire biology of E. coli, and that's a very, very large biology. There's more than 16,000 you know, E. coli genomes that are known that we have to analyze and understand how do we cover the breadth of that uh, vast biology. So that has taken us some time. We are now very fortunate to have a, a cocktail of uh, a CRISPR arm phages for four CRISPR phages that are able to cover more than 90% of that entire biology, and also very importantly, more than 90% of all the known resistant strains, whether they are fluoroquinolone or carbapenem or multidrug resistant strains. So we, we are very pleased with that profile, and we hope that that also translates into the clinic. Then there are two other challenges. We want to only kill E. coli and not to kill anything else. So we have also, you know, have to study and we can, we have now documented that we are not killing any of the nearest neighbors of whether it's, you know, Klebsiella or Salmonella or Enterococcus or any of the, you know, nearest neighbors or any other neighbors in the microbiome for that sake. And that we have also, you know, documented, but that we will, of course, need to study also in, in humans. And then there's all this, a very big challenge, which is resistance. So of course, all the known antibiotics, when they used over time, you build up some resistance. And with the phages, we have we've tried to build in redundancy. So we have four different phages, and most of the bacteria that we've screened, they are actually uh, hit by two or three of the phages, and some of them are hit by all. I think 50% are hit by all four phages. So if one of the phages cannot you know, penetrate the, the bacteria, then there's the three others. And then we also build in redundancy when it comes to to actually the uh, the CRISPR guides that, that we have multiplex that we are we're killing the uh, the bacteria in many ways and are, and are taking out uh, you know many different uh, essential genes. But of course, you know, eventually, even our CRISPR medicines might actually see some level of uh, of resistance, and that's also why we are in some of our other projects where we are anticipating longer term treatments and maybe even you know chronic or lifelong treatment. There, we will rather use the delivery of the live bacteria because here there's actually not the same threat of resistance because bacteria always like to you know receive uh, you know DNA from from other bacteria. They, there's not a threat. Uh, there's not a Darwinism you know. Uh, selection in that they normally confer interesting uh, you know attributes when you take in uh, dna from another bacteria so for longer term treatment we believe that the the conjugative you know delivery from live bacteria will actually be uh, good and then some of the challenges has also been then to make this into a drug so to have it produced under good manufacturing practice luckily we we have a strategic partnership with a really excellent production company in Europe, in Slovenia, and they have uh, 20 years of experience in really making these living drugs. Because in contrast to you know a, a small molecule pill or even a, you know complicated biologics like an antibody, our drugs are living. We actually have you know, four live CRISPR armed phages, so they of course have to be produced in very high quantity and also in a buffer where they can just lay still and be uh, you know active also after nine and twelve months. So yeah, so there, there are plenty of, of challenges, but we have actually overcome them, and we're very pleased to have now uh, we have completed dosing in the U.S. trial and are looking very much forward to see the results uh, next year. Yeah, we're looking forward to see the results as well. And hopefully we can have you back to give an update about the results. Switching gears a little bit from, you know, we spoke about everything that Sniper is doing right now and all the ways in which you all want to move forward with personalized and affordable medicines. 
One thing I wanted to ask about was your role specifically. It's hard being a leader. It's also amazing being a leader. So what is your, you know, one favorite thing about your role? And then maybe one thing that's really hard or that you don't like. There are many things that I really like in my role. I really like seeing, uh, you know, uh, the, the company grow. I'm very fortunate that we have been able to attract some really brilliant uh, scientists and some fantastic people from all over the world. We we are a little more than 40 scientists now, but they come from, you know, 25 different nations. And one thing I really also appreciate is that we have so many, you know, unsolicited uh, applications uh, applications every week. But I think the thing that I maybe enjoy the most is really to have the ability to meet either scientists or entrepreneurs around the world, some really, really brilliant and smart uh, people and discuss, you know, potential collaborations and, and, and how we could actually, you know, if we combine our uh, resources, we're very fortunate to have collaborations both with, you know, CAPEX and uh, with the uh, cancer scientists at the MD Anderson uh, Cancer Center around Jennifer Vago. We also have a fantastic collaboration with, uh, with Novo Nordisk. So I really enjoy the we can bring our thing to the party and then we have those collaborations. That's one of the things that I enjoy the most. And we've actually done something quite unusual as a biotech company. Inspired by Howard and MIT, they have a very large real estate of CRISPR patents and they have given all their patents free to all the scientists in the world for you know use in, uh, in research and in clinical development. And they only have to come back and collaborate with Howard and MIT if it has a commercial purpose and, and then they, they can go under a commercial license. And we have actually inspired by that. We've done exactly the same. We have a very large collection of uh, US, uh, Europe, and also rest of the world patents. And we've given those patents free in the hope that that will actually generate a lot of research, a lot of good ideas, and a lot of collaborative uh, discussions. So people are coming to us and say, could we do this? So that is uh, probably what I enjoy the most. And that's actually just a, you know, a flip side of that, because when you, when you really want to meet people, you have to travel a lot, right? And I, and I actually do like to travel, but you know, that's all in a balance. So if you, if you travel, you know, too much, then, then you're actually not at home and with your team where, where you should be. And you're also away from your family and you're suffering, you know, jet lags and all that jazz. So that, that's probably the part of it that if you have to travel extensively, that can be a little bit, uh, you know, too much. Yeah. No, absolutely. You're right. And it's great to know that. You've provided the patents for free for researchers, so kudos to you for doing that. One last thing that I wanted to ask you was, if you were not a scientist or if you hadn't gone down this path, you know, a doctor and then, or a veterinary doctor, then into medicine, what is an alternative profession that you might have enjoyed? Yeah, so I have actually also enjoyed uh, learning the, uh, the the business part of things, and I really enjoyed getting an, an MBA because it was so so different from all the medical and science schools. So I I really like the cross field between medical science and then actually also the business. So sort of this you know, of, of creating value and I. And I think if, if I was not with, with, with Sniper and leading uh, that or helping out, I, I actually see also a, a great value in uh, on the other side of investing into ideas, investing into entrepreneurs, helping them to to get their ideas formed into a, a company. So, so I had a stint with you know of, of creating companies within Wellcome Trust, uh, and I really enjoyed that. And I think I could go back to that uh, of uh, of investing. But the the other thing I have enjoyed a lot, which I'm not doing that much more, but I, I really enjoyed teaching so I was also a university teacher and I really enjoyed that so that interaction with the next generation of talents uh, I really enjoyed teaching that's great to hear well you already have such diverse experience I think you know your 
alternative professions are almost everything that you are anyways in some way doing or have done. But that's great that you've gotten to try all of this. I want to thank you so much for joining us today, Christian. This was such an informative episode, especially we do get a, uh, or try to cover a lot of ground on, you know, how CRISPR is being used in medicine. As you mentioned before, a lot of that is often in eukaryotic cells. And so this has been very different to kind of understand the perspective of working in bacteria and how that can be important in medicine as well. So yeah, yeah thanks for your and time I, And I think I will end by you know, thanking you. It's been really very interesting. And also if, if some of your your listeners are, you know, interested in CRISPR and wants to do some experiments themselves. I mean, they're, they're most welcome to contact a sniper. There might be that they, you know, need uh, some bits and pieces and, uh, you know, a, a CRISPR guide or a promoter or something. And if we can, you know, be a kickstarter for some, some new things, you know, we'll be very happy to provide the stuff like that. That's great. I hope you get lots of people asking you for stuff after this. And I'm sure our listeners will enjoy knowing they have a place to go to for trying out or experimenting more. So thank you so much. Thanks for listening to CRISPR Cuts. I invite you to check out the Synthigo blog, The Bench, for more great CRISPR content. Please send us any feedback you have by contacting us on Twitter. And if you want to join in as a guest on our podcast, email us at crispercuts at synthigo.com. CRISPR Cuts is a scientific podcast by Synthigo. Produced by Kevin, Minu, and me, Bobby. Additional production by Resonate Recordings. Our cover art is by Jeff Merrick. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.